Welcome to episode seven of Off the Record. Alongside Kirsten Kroll, I'm Alexis Downey. We have made it into April, and I will tell you, it is hot outside. In fact, it's red hot outside. How about where you are, Kirsten? First, love the pun. I'm a sucker <laughs> for a good pun. But yes, it has been amazing outside, and I really am hesitant because I don't want to jinx myself. But I think spring in Minnesota is here and I'm going to knock on my desk here because I've been known to get snowstorms in late April, early May. So I'm really hoping we dodge that this year. But yes, it's been 80 degrees the past two days. Um, I don't know if you can tell, but I've taken advantage of it. I don't know if I'm a girl or a lobster right now, but it has been gorgeous outside. Same here in Chicago. I really can't believe this heat wave we're having, but it's supposed to rain at the end of the week. So really can't complain about it. And what we also can't complain about, baseball is back. And we've had a lot of NCAA championships in the works, um, particularly March Madness just ending. Our brackets, you know, I'm going to say they didn't turn out quite like we hoped, um, at least on my end. How are you feeling about that? <laughs> So there's a lot that I feel like I have to say about my bracket. You know, first and foremost, it lasted longer than even I thought it was going to. Fair to enough. Um, if you remember correctly, I picked Creighton and Loyola in the national championship with Creighton winning. But to everyone's surprise, including mine, and to quiet the haters that are out there who laughed in my face virtually, at my bracket when they saw it. I'm just saying both of my teams I picked went further than anyone thought, both making it to the Sweet 16. Loyola to a sister Jean, bless her heart. I, I had a lot of fun with it. I have no regrets with any of my picks, even though it didn't pan out to the way that I thought it would, but that Illinois upset that everyone judged me on for not picking them to get out of the first round. Just say, I was right. I will say that that one particularly hurt my bracket. I mean, it was pretty cool to see Loyola Chicago upset them, um, but I did have the Illini winning it all over Gonzaga. So I was right about one half of the bracket at least, but Baylor really coming in and dominating and playing great basketball. And I think that a lot of people expected that from them, but you know, to see the fashion that they did it against Gonzaga was pretty amazing. Um, but not only with men's, we had the women's championship as well. The four teams that made it to the final four, USC, Stanford, Arizona, and UConn. And that was pretty exciting to watch. Yeah, it was. And I even just from looking at my Twitter feed, a lot of people were buzzing saying the women's side of the tournament way more exciting games to be played a lot closer didn't necessarily know what was going to happen whereas a lot of games on the men's side were predictable and so i i think personally this was the most buzz i had ever seen surrounding the women's ncaa tournament and for good reason those were some really good games played 
Absolutely. And Arizona and Stanford were the two that ended up in the championship game, but Stanford winning in a close one, 54 to 53. Arizona making its first appearance, even in the final four, getting to that championship game was super exciting for their program. Um, two Pac-12 teams in that final four group. So good look for the Pac-12 and really exciting for Stanford. Um, there was a lot of great players that were in that final four. Uh, UConn's cage, excuse me, UConn's Paige Bukers, words are hard. Um, she won the first, she was the first freshman to win player of the year for uh, women's, uh, the NCAA women's basketball. So really exciting for her. Um, she helped, you know, lead UConn to their 13th consecutive Final Four, which is unbelievable. UConn is such a powerhouse basketball program. But also to note, there were some star connections uh, to the Stanford team. Russell Wilson's sister, Anna, playing on Stanford, and Steph Curry's god sister, Cameron Brink, uh, also on Stanford. And uh, Russell Wilson was actually in attendance for the games. Steph Curry giving his god sister Cameron a shout out on Instagram. So pretty cool for both of them. Very cool. And I think too, you got to imagine maybe even a little bit of the pressure being in that family as well. I mean, you're in the same family as Steph Curry, Russell Wilson, just superstars. And it makes you kind of wonder, is that some friendly competition? Do you feel a little bit of pressure to uh, be extra on your A game? Is it ultra competitive too? But just to even at the end of the day, have that big of a support system. I mean, that's so cool. I'm really happy that even with their busy schedules that we all know that they have, they were able to make it down. And I think that just makes it even more special. Right. And also to note, this was in the uh, final four, two of the coaches, it was the first time ever there were two black head coaches, two black women in the women's final four. So really a very cool step, you know, in the right direction for equality across the board as far as coaches. Um, but very cool to see that as well. One thing I do wanna talk about that was right before the final four for the women's side, Baylor's head coach, Kim Mulkey made a comment saying that the NCAA should do away with testing for the final four. And I personally heard that and thought, wow, that is incredibly irresponsible to say you are a figure to so many in college basketball. Um, but I, I was upset with that. Glad the NCAA didn't follow through with it, but very interesting to hear uh, someone at her, you know, her level to come out and say that in public. Yeah, I saw that comment made as well, not from her verbally, but I saw it on Twitter come up and I, it took me back for a minute. I read that and it was one of those things where you don't necessarily react right away, but you just let it sit so you can comprehend what you just saw. And I think my opinion lines up right with yours. That's so irresponsible to say. I mean, at that point, you can only do so much to protect yourself, your staff, your players. And the only thing you can hope that you're doing is everyone is being as responsible as you ask of them to be. And they realize how big of a stage and an opportunity this is not only potentially a once in a lifetime experience for everyone who is out there playing in this tournament, but also too just health standpoint, everyone wants to make sure they're not only keeping themselves safe, 
but everyone around them safe. And they don't want to be that player too, who ends up shutting it down for everyone. So I can understand you've made it that far. You want to see it through and you want to avoid that potential crushing end to your season. I understand that, but very irresponsible to just say, we're just don't do the testing. And then we, there won't be positive tests coming out because we won't know. You got to understand the times we're living in right now. This is what you knew it was going to be like getting into the season. And again, yes, just very irresponsible to see somebody at that level who's supposed to be an advocate and has such a big platform say something that ignorant. And it was really amazing that there was only one tournament game that was actually affected by COVID first round game, Oregon versus VCU, VCU um, being the team that was affected. It was ruled a no contest, but that kind of moves us over to the men's final four, the four teams, Baylor, Houston, Gonzaga, UCLA. And then in that championship game, Gonzaga obviously versus Baylor. Baylor winning 86 to 70. Uh, it was their first championship in program history. Pretty incredible for the Baylor Bears. Um, but taking it back a little bit, it was UCLA's first appearance since 2008. And they were only the sixth double digit team to make it to the final four. So very impressive from the Bruins. And I know to get there, they had to go through my Michigan State Spartans. I didn't have that pick made, um, but you know, once they went on, they beat Michigan, they beat Alabama. I was kind of rooting for them. And then they were playing Gonzaga, took that game into overtime. And then the shot that still gives me chills watching Jalen Suggs making that three-pointer in overtime, sending Gonzaga to the national championship. I was sitting on my couch actually with my family this weekend and we were watching the game and we all reacted the same way when he made that just ecstatic jumping off the couch. So happy. Um, I, I was pulling for Gonzaga in that game because who doesn't want to see a undefeated team? So I was really excited about that game. And where I'm at, it's the flip side of you. I always cheer for the underdog. And when I hear about a team being undefeated, verge of a national championship, it gives me New England Patriots vibes back when Tom Brady was still there. And, you know, every single year, you expected them to make it. And especially, I believe it was the year they went to the Super Bowl and were facing off against the New York Giants. They were undefeated that season up until the Super Bowl when they lost. And, you know, it does make a cool story, but at the same time, when this is a random example, but it's just the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of this, like, I don't want the same teams winning all the time. Not saying Gonzaga does win all the time. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be honest. Like, I, I, I don't remember my memory. I don't even remember what I had for breakfast yesterday, <laughs> but I don't like hearing about the same teams winning all the time. And I would much rather see an underdog come up and pull off a big upset. Well, then you move into the championship, Gonzaga, Baylor. I don't think anyone expected to see the start that that game was nine to zero run to start the game for Baylor, Baylor going up, having, you know, what ended up being the biggest deficit for Gonzaga throughout the whole tournament at one point in the first half um, Baylor's defense completely shutting down Gonzaga. I, I was so shocked to see that, honestly. Um, 
and I started to feel for, you know, Drew Timmy because as a senior, you know, th this could have been the year, you know, undefeated, win the national championship, everything you dream of as a college athlete. Um, but Baylor winning, I don't think surprised a ton of people because when they are on their game, they are just an elite team. And some are now arguing that this was Baylor's best team ever. Um, and, you know, if you watch the way they played basketball, they were a full team last night and they were really uh, playing with their heart on the line, putting a lot of effort into everything that they were doing. And obviously that shows through on the defensive side of the ball, as well as making shots and when you needed them. But it was a big moment for a head, co head coach, Scott Drew, you know, his 18th season with Baylor, finally getting that national championship. So it was, it was a good March Madness, I'd say. I think it was a good March Madness. I think you just look around at everything that happened and arguably there were some of the biggest upsets we've seen in recent March Madness history. I mean, you look at what Loyola Chicago did to Illinois. That's going to be one that I'm going to remember at least for the coming years. And that's, that's why people love March Madness so much. You really, you can think, you know, what's going to happen when you fill out your brackets, but you never really do. And that's half the fun arguing with people about who you think is right. And then in the end, neither of you end up being right. And again, I, I kind of backtracking on what you said earlier, just a huge credit to the NCAA and not only the NCAA, but all of its athletes for doing their parts and making it the best possible atmosphere for us to have a March Madness this year with, like you mentioned, only one game having to be basically forfeited because of a COVID situation. Out of all of the teams that were there, that's pretty remarkable. So kudos to everyone who is a part of that. And Alexis, that's not the only championship now that we have. We switch from March Madness to not April Madness, but Frozen Four, college hockey. Things we, are cooling off. <laughs> yes, things are, another pun. I love it. Things are cooling off as it is championship week in college hockey. And for me, especially, this is one I am so excited about. Go Huskies. They made it. They made it. Their second team appearance ever in program history for St. Cloud State, making it to the Frozen Four. Their last time they were there was about five years ago in Pittsburgh. Um, that team back in, I believe it was 2015, making it to the Frozen Four. And ultimately they didn't win their first game and had an early exit. This year, I'm really, really hoping the tables turn. And you know, I'm very close to the St. Cloud State program. I covered the men's hockey team for the past two years before this year. And, you know, I know a lot of the players and got to cover them that are still on that team. I know head coach Brett Larson, really great guy, but not only that, just the way his team rallies around him. And you can really tell too, some of the knowledge he picked up from Scott Sandlin, head coach of Minnesota Duluth, who is also at the Frozen Four for technically a third straight year since last year's contest had to be canceled due to the pandemic. And three teams from Minnesota making it to the Frozen Four. 
Um, first game with puck drop being set Thursday at 4 p.m. between St. Cloud State and Minnesota State. Uh, it's kind of hard to say with this one. I think technically St. Cloud State is the underdog in that first matchup, but you know, just from having followed both of these teams this season, it really could be anyone's game. And Alexis, I'm going to tell you this right now, don't be surprised at all, even though Minnesota State, I believe, coming into the tournament was, I think they were a, a one or two seed. They were a one or two seed for sure. But, you know, they're, I think, the slight favorite. But don't be surprised to see what St. Cloud State pulls out in that first game in the semifinal to hopefully get to that national championship game. Well, I guess as someone who doesn't have ties to any of the four teams that are there, I'm gonna cheer for St. Cloud for you. Yes. Frozen for, uh, you know, the the later game, um, UMass, Minnesota Duluth, UMass already being down four players due to COVID, including their starting goalie and their team's leading scorer. So I'm gonna say Duluth is gonna definitely take that game on the later half, but cheering for St. Cloud in that first one. And, you know, hopefully they make it to the championship game and, and get it done. And if Duluth is in that game, basically upset Duluth because they are looking for their, their third straight championship. But um, I, I'm excited. You know, I, I love the atmosphere that college hockey brings. And I think the Frozen Four is such a special event. It almost seems like a professional event to an extent because of how the hype around it and how it's handled obviously this year probably being a little bit different not necessarily having a red carpet event or anything like that but i i'm excited just to watch the games this weekend and i'm just gonna pretend that you're not only cheering for st cloud state because you know i would be really mad at you if you <laughs> didn't cheer for them but you know you just you made the right statement when you announced who you were cheering for in the Frozen Four, so I'm I'm still happy right now. Um, a couple other things I want to note about the four games taking place in the semifinals this week. St. Cloud State, their leading goal scorer, Easton Brodzinski, he is in Pittsburgh with the team, but he will not be playing after the game against Boston College when he had to have help walking off the ice because he fractured his femur. He ended up staying behind in Albany to have surgery on that femur. And Easton, we're really hoping for a quick recovery for you and to see you back out on the ice again soon, although it won't be this weekend. So leading goal scorer for St. Cloud, huge contributor, senior leadership. I'm happy that he's there, but he's definitely a presence that's going to be missed on the ice. But the good thing about St. Cloud State is that program next man up mentality. They've got a deep roster, any line can show up any night. And that also just goes to the coaching style of Brett Larson as well. So really excited for that matchup against Minnesota State. Go Huskies. And again, with Minnesota Duluth, that is a team I have always said in the postseason, I don't want to face because Scott Sandlin, when you look at his coaching, he knows how to win. What does he have? Four or five total? Four or five, I think. No, maybe three or four. Don't quote me on that. But he has multiple national championships under his belt. And I really hope, though, going off that, in the national championship, we see St. Cloud State versus Minnesota Duluth. The Minnesota Duluth, they are resilient in the postseason, especially when it comes to playing in title games. 
It speaks for itself when you look at their history. And it'll be really interesting, too, since head coach Brett Larson, he was an assistant under Scott Sandlin just a few years ago. They won a national title together. So if they end up facing off together in the national championship, that's going to be such a storied matchup that I would be so excited to see. And, you know, even in some of the games played since Larson came to St. Cloud State, St. Cloud has the upper hand. So I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm just saying don't be surprised if they do. Well, I guess we'll find out and we can talk about it next week. Hopefully it's in your favor. But I think that's going to bring us to break. But don't go anywhere. We will have our on or off segment following the break. Welcome back to Off the Record for our on or off segment. One of us will give a statement. The other will say whether we agree with it, meaning on, or disagree with it, meaning off. All right, Kirsten, it's fair that people are calling for a change to the Calder Trophy eligibility now. This is off, and it's actually making me pretty upset. And here's why. It's something that's been bugging me for the last couple months now, because now that the Minnesota Wild have a star-studded player, which they've arguably never had before. Now people are throwing a fit. When was the last time anyone has ever seen the Minnesota Wild have a Calder Trophy winner? I can't remember any off the top of my head. The only player people have been able to really compare Kirill Kaprizov to is Marion Gabrick, who played back when the franchise just began. And so Kirill Kaprizov, just a stellar season for him. Leading goal scorer on the team with 14 goals, many assists. I believe it's about 17 on the season. And he is just so much fun to watch. If you have seen him, you know how electrifying he is. And I know the argument comes into play because he's 23 years old. He played in the KHL for a few years. And it's the KHL, if you know anything about it, you know it's a gritty league big men playing in that league, arguably comparable to the NHL. So people are saying he's not truly a rookie, but think of the other players who have come from the KHL, who came to the then the NHL, who were in their rookie season. We've had this situation before. It's so unfair to change the rules now at this point when you had similar players win the Calder Trophy, when they've had similar circumstances. So I think it's just completely asinine, to be honest. And I'm really annoyed seeing all of these reporters say, it's not fair for Kirill Kaprizov to win the Calder Trophy because in all honesty, he's got some competition. He's in good company, but he's the clear front runner for this award. And I don't think anyone's gonna be surprised if he wins it. It's totally unfair for people to be saying this season Calder Trophy eligibility should be changed. Maybe take a look at it next season. But even then, I don't think that it should be changed. Like, he's still a rookie in the NHL and he's adapting to so many different aspects of playing in the NHL. So it's something I'm passionate about, something I've been upset about. People just need to chill. Yeah, I would say you're a lot more passionate about it on your end than mine. But I would agree with you because he is still a rook rookie technically by the his statistics. And I 
I don't think it needs to be changed either. I, I'm I'm on your side with that. We're just getting along so well today and I'm so happy. <laughs> and Alexis, I now have a question for you. The Red Sox did it right with their new Nike alternative Patriots Day jerseys that were released this week. Is this on or off? I think it is on and you know they are very controversial on social media right now particularly um, Nike doing a series of uh, alternate baseball jerseys this season um, there's a few other teams that will be having them but with Boston so you take a look at these jerseys they are yellow with blue writing um, it's not what you think of when you think of the Red Sox the Red Sox are such a historic team they have so much uh, history and it's just a vintage look but this is kind of like a new you know it's it's only going to be for a few games so it's not something that I think people need to freak out about um, and I really like how it um, I'm not sure it honors I guess the Boston Marathon I think that's really cool on the sleeve of the jersey they have sort of like a runner's race tag and it has the Boston area code on it so I'm a fan of them, even though they are super different. No one likes change ever, no matter the sport, TV, whatever it is, no one likes change. So I think that's why that people don't like them that much. But I think that it's a really cool idea. I personally am really torn on this. Initially looking at the jersey, it's ugly and I don't like it. But when you look at some of the details, like you mentioned, on how it pays tribute to the Boston Marathon, and I love that aspect of it. I love the details, but the yellow and the blue, when you first look at it, it's like, what is this? Like, there's so many other things they possibly could have done. So I think just from a general aesthetic, I say it's off because I don't like it, but when you look at the details that they put into it, then it's on. So I don't really have a solid answer for you guys. I'm I'm split down the middle on that one. Very split. I, I understand it. It's definitely different. All right. So the twins, Nelson Cruz will put up his most home runs of his career this season. This is this is a good question. I, you know, even before coming on the show today, it's one that I was thinking about a little bit. In yesterday's game, he put up two home runs, almost had a grand slam. Fortunately, that didn't happen for him. But then I got back to looking at some of his stats and back in 2015, when he was with Seattle, he put up his career best 44 home runs in the full season. Then in 2019 with Minnesota, 41 home runs that season. Then in the shortened season last year, he had 16 home runs, which when you look at his other years, not his best, but again, condensed schedule. And I even think he was battling an injury for a little bit of those games last year as well. But this season, we've got a full slate of games. He's with Minnesota, the Bomba squad, locked and loaded roster. He's already having success early on. I think he's gonna put up at least 45 home runs throughout the duration of this season, which will be his career best. So I say this is on. Well, I can tell you, you definitely know more about the Twins than I do, but in knowing his stats early in the season, if he trends in that that same direction, he could reach that number. Um, baseball is such a long season, 162 games. He's got some time, so sure, I'll go with it as well. 
You are just cheering for these Minnesota teams today. Always. I love it. I'm so happy with you. <laughs> but that's going to lead us from the ballpark back to the ice rink and a big situation that's been making headlines the past week or two now is the Vancouver Canucks and their COVID-19 situation. I believe it's with the Brazilian variant that's running its course through the team, which has been posing challenges for the league and for that North division as well up in Canada, which Alexis leads to the next question I have for you. The NHL needs to reevaluate the North division with Vancouver's COVID issues on or off. I'm going to say on, and I think that is because this is really going to affect the Canucks. You know, originally they were saying Thursday that they're hoping to get back on the ice. But today, even another today, Tuesday, they announced another COVID case. And granted, a lot of the guys that are in the COVID protocol might not all be having symptoms or actually have the virus, but they're still in the protocol. This includes coaches as well. How do you play games if you have 17 guys in the protocol? I, I Like, you can only have so many on the taxi squad. And from there, there's rules that, you know, restrict being able to bring some guys up. They only have so many two-way contracts from the AHL teams. So I think that they really are going to have to take a look at this because if they are not able to play this week, then how are they going to reschedule these games without pushing them into the same, uh, I almost said St. Cloud. I'm still thinking your your hockey team, Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, so I think that if the NHL is proactive about this, they're, they're going to have to do something with that North division. And the Canucks are a team that's kind of right on the border. They're, they're on that potential for a playoff spot. Um, so, you don't want to see them miss out on something, but they obviously can't put guys on the ice that aren't 100% or, you know, like I hope everyone's doing okay. I know a lot of the players have actually had symptoms. So it's something that the NHL is really going to have to really look at. I agree 100%. And I know there's been some conversations that have been released or circulating around the Twitter sphere where some people are saying the NHL has been talking about either Vancouver, they still continue to play some of their regular season games when other teams here in America, they start the postseason while they're still finishing out the regular season. But then I can see that causing issues with almost all of the North division. What happens with their games as well, especially games that were postponed because of Vancouver situation. And then another thing too, that I had heard the NHL, if deemed that some of the games don't need to be played because it's not going to determine the outcome regardless. So they might just not reschedule those games at all pending Vancouver situation. But again, you mentioned they're a team that's right on the border. So if you're that close where you could be in the postseason, you might not, you've got to play those games. So it's going to be interesting to see how the NHL and the Canucks work through and navigate this situation. And also from what I've heard from some of the symptoms that these players that are having symptoms are going through, they sound scary. And my thoughts and prayers are with you guys, not only for 
the players and the coaches, but their families as well, their wives, some of them have been getting sick as well. So really scary situation up in Canada and just really hoping everyone stays safe. Welcome back in to Off the Record, and it's now time for our final thoughts. And my final thought this week, I just want to say being at the game Monday night at the XL Energy Center between the Wild and Avalanche, we had 3,000 fans we welcomed back into the building, the most of the entire season and the most since March of last year. And being there in an atmosphere with fans, I'm still processing a little bit, it was surreal. Like I was walking by people and I'm like, all the games I've been at this season, there's been no one here. Walking through the concourse, being in the arena and hearing actual fans cheering, not crowd noise. It's weird, but I love it. And I'm really, really happy that we are getting back some more normalcy as we go along, even though it's not happening as fast as anyone would like, we're getting there. So welcome back, Wild fans. It was great seeing you at the XL Energy Center, and I can't wait for the rest of the season and as we head into the postseason as well. Make sure you say hi to Kirsten if you see her over there. <laughs> but, I don't bite, I'm nice. <laughs> <laughs> kind of flipping back over to baseball. This was just something that I thought was was crazy. People don't, don't forget things. Obviously, Houston Astros, a team in the MLB that people are done with, very done with. And it's going to be like this for a few years at least. So Monday night, they were playing at um, the Angels Stadium. And after the sixth inning, a fan threw a life-size inflatable garbage can onto the field. Not only that, but shortly after that, Jose Altuve was at bat and a real garbage can was thrown onto the field. Trash was falling onto the field from that garbage can. The poor workers had to clean it all up. I really felt bad on that end, but the people have not forgotten. The Angels ended up winning that game um, and the Astros, they're, they're still, getting a lot of hate. And I think a lot of it is happening because, you know, last season was a weird season for baseball. Wasn't, it was that shortened season. Fans, it's not the same atmosphere that it is this season. So fans are finally being able to portray their frustrations and they really are doing so. The shame tour continues into 2021. I am loving it. I love that that happened. I'm sad that the worker had to pick up the trash. But even <laughs> then, I think they probably found a little bit of satisfaction that that happened and got a laugh out of it, even though they had to ultimately clean it up. But I love that that happened. The Astros, if they weren't being punished by the MLB, I'm happy the fans are staying true and keeping them the fans certainly are. And that's going to do it for our Off the Record this week. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube, follow our Twitter, OTR Sports Talk, follow us on Twitter, whatever it may be. Thank you for joining us this week, and we'll see you next time.